from WBEZ Chicago. This is Written Inside, stories about prison cells. This is our final story, written by James Trent. A visit from an outsider. After a long day of landscaping work, I walked into the cell house and stood outside my cell waiting for the gallery officer to let me in. Leaning against the bars, I noticed something moving in the back of the cell. I couldn't tell what it was because it was hiding behind the steel bunk bed. When the officer opened the door, I walked straight to the back and moved the laundry bag from the wall. To my surprise, it was a bird, a robin or a wren, I'm not sure. I'm six foot seven and 300 pounds. And when the bird caught sight of me, it undoubtedly feared for its life. It scurried away, taking cover under the bunk bed. Its little legs moved so fast that it looked like the Roadrunner character. It found safety between two gray property boxes. I couldn't help but to laugh at its cartoonish ways. I lay down on the cold concrete floor and reached under the bed to grab it, but it ran and hopped out of my reach. As I lay on the floor... It made its way to the front of the cell and jumped on a slot between the bars. It perched for a moment there. I sat up and admired its beauty. Its beak was bright yellow. Even its brown plumage amidst all the prison gray seemed colorful. Sitting on the bars, it no longer seemed afraid. It barely moved, just its head which swiveled from left to right and back again. It seemed so delicate. Its little black eyes were no longer looking at me. Instead, it appeared it was trying to figure out which direction to fly. I hoped it would find its way out of the building, so I waved my hand, shooing it toward the door. But it flew further into the cell house. For a few minutes, I felt like I was somewhere else. It was a small crack in a routine which sets my life every day. My encounter with the bird brought a rare moment of pure joy, and so I've held on to this small memory. Ten years later, it still makes me smile. That was A Visit from an Outsider, written by James Trent and read by actor Rick Walker. I'm WBEZ host Jen White, and with me are journalist Alex Kotlowitz and Professor Jennifer Lackey. They worked with inmates at Stateville Correctional Center on the essays for Written Inside. That essay is so beautifully written. But that last line, I was so struck by the fact that this happened 10 years ago. And Alex, I'm curious about what you learned about how these men think about time. Right. I mean, what was interesting in this process is, you know, I worked on these essays draft to draft, and every time with James, I kept on asking him, so why this memory? What is it about this memory? And I remember at one point he sent back a draft in which he talked about the bird represented freedom, and and it just felt like a trope, and I just felt like it, it didn't feel like him. It didn't feel like it was coming from him. And then in the next draft he sends me, he's kind of an afterthought. He mentions that this happened 10 years ago, and I just thought, that's it. That's what this story is about is about the fact that you've got this small memory and it's so rare that you hold on to it for all those years. Jennifer, what was it like for you watching these students that you'd gotten to know so well 
bringing their personal stories to life. Oh, it was, it was remarkable. And I, I was so grateful to be a part of it. I mean, James's that was just read. He had not taken a class in probably 20 years. I mean, he has been incarcerated, I think, for about 20 years. And this was the first time he came into an environment like this since he was on the outside. And one day he just showed up in my class. And as he reports, he's like six foot seven. He's over 300 pounds. I mean, he the desk looked, you know, minuscule while he was sitting in it. And he kept his head down. He never raised his hand. He looked terrified. And week by week, I saw him grow more comfortable. It's in a very, very warm environment. The students are very supportive of one another. And so seeing, like, for instance, James just grow from sitting in that desk, being terrified of raising his hand, to being able to produce something like this where, you know, I went to see him and I said, you know, this is getting published. It's remarkable. And to see the confidence that, you know, grow over that period of time, like I can produce something valuable. I'm capable of this when I think many of these guys have no idea what they're capable of because no one has ever invested the time or told them how remarkable some of their talents are. So I was it was such a privilege to be a part of it. You know, these men are all in for committing violent crimes and they're facing very long prison sentences. Did you know what they were incarcerated for and how does that play into how you work with them? Well, I mean, I know that all of my students have been convicted of at least one murder. Almost all of my students have natural life sentences. At least three of my students were on death row for many, many years um, until it was abolished. I rarely know what they've done when I start the classroom. It usually evolves over time in, in one form or another, sometimes in their work. It comes out and it's relevant. But for the most part, I just try to approach the classroom as I would any other classroom and to treat them as students. Alex, what about you? You know, I didn't ask, in part because I know also, too, that in prison, it's, you know, they're all been defined by this moment in their life. And so, so much of their energy is trying to sort of not be defined by that moment. Um, and in fact, I, with these essays, some of them wanted to write about their cases. And for me, it's really just about how they live their lives. It's about how you manage behind bars. And some of these guys, as Jennifer said, have been there for 20, 30 40 years. Well, one of them is William Johnson's been there for 35 years, as Mm -hmm. he talks about in his essay. Jennifer, describe the conditions at Stateville. What do you experience when you're an inmate there? So Stateville is an older prison. Um, It's not updated. I mean, I teach my courses 12 months out of the year. There's no air conditioning anywhere in the summer. Some of the cell houses, you know, they're up on the higher levels where you can't even catch your breath in there. The paint is peeling everywhere. Um, There's an education building. I recently heard that they're going to tear the roof down. I think they're going to put a new one in um, because every time it rains, you know, we have just buckets of, of rainwater coming in. There's two men per cell. Um, the cells are very, very small. I mean, they basically have uh, bunk beds, their you know, toilet and sink. And if both men are standing up at the same time in the cell, they're bumping into one another. So every time I've gone to visit them in the cell houses, one of them is in, is in the bunk beds. It's an old place. It's a very traditional prison in contrast with some other ones. I mean, so, I mean, it's all bars. It's all, you know, whereas a lot of maximum security prisons now, there's doors and there's, it, it just aesthetically, it's very quite, really quite different. Right. But Stateville is a very traditional looking prison. So Jennifer, tell me about the class you were teaching at Stateville and how it led to this project. So I was teaching um, a 10-month course on mass incarceration where we discussed the history of mass incarceration, its causes, its consequences from a multitude of perspectives. So 
I invited a lot of guest speakers to come, uh, different speakers each week. One week, um, our Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky came. I had some attorneys from the Center on Wrongful Convictions come. And I also had invited Alex Kotlowitz to come. He was going to be talking about um, nonfiction storytelling. And Alex, talk about how that was going to Stateville for the first time. What was that experience right. like for you? Well, I've been to a number of prisons. I've never been to a maximum security prison. And Stateville is a, is a little unusual in that way in that most prisons you go, they're usually surrounded by wire fences. You can see the outside world. And Stateville is actually kind of like a castle where it's just surrounded by these high cement walls. And so you can't see inside and you can't see outside. As you walk from the entrance to the education building, you pass the yard, which is all within the prison. And the thing that was most striking to me about that yard was that there were these big, fat groundhogs that were fed every day, apparently, by the inmates. I mean, they were so big, I couldn't imagine how they even got into their holes. So Uh, they're sort of pets in a way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guys love them. And they, I mean, they bring cookies out to them after all of their meals. I mean, and they're they're huge. Absolutely. (laughs) And the other kind of cool part of it was is that Jennifer had uh, assigned um, and given each of the students a copy of my first book, There Are No Children Here. So actually the conceit was that I would go down and talk about this book and talk about how to put together a story. And and then I had them do this in-class exercise where for 10 minutes they just wrote a really short piece about their prison cells. And uh, I was so taken by what they wrote that I said, you know, if you guys, I thought about it afterwards and I approached Jennifer and I said, you know, if they want to work on these, I'd be willing to work on these stories. So Alex, you have a prisoner who brings you an essay, uh, that first draft, if you will. What happened after that? We went through probably seven or eight drafts. I told them I was going to work with them as I would with my students or professional writers. And so I I can be pretty blunt um, in my edits and my comments. I remember one of them, Marcus Gray, who wrote this lovely piece about being a a recluse in prison, about never leaving your cell. But at one point, one of the drafts at the end of it, he wrote, Mr. Kotlowitz, I appreciate what it is you're trying to do with these writings, the time, energy, et cetera, spent on us. But with that said, this must be my last draft because clearly I'm incapable of doing it correctly. I hope you don't read into this as if I'm ungrateful because I'm not, but I'm simply being forced to face the potential ineptitude in creating something of significance. And I wrote him back. I said, Marcus, you don't realize how good your writing is. And so I pushed him and he ended up doing this really, I think, really thoughtful kind of heartbreaking piece about sort of being a a recluse and what it means not to leave your prison cell. Mm. Well, Jennifer, I mean, that brings up the point that this class was not happening in a traditional environment. I mean, one of the things that I've always been really struck by in that environment is, on the one hand, the absolute uniformity of things, right? They all have the same uniform, you know, the same clothes on, the same shoes. Even their glasses, for the most part, are, you know, state-issued glasses. Um, And so one of the things I'm always really struck by in that environment is how they seem to have to make a special effort to be distinctive by virtue of their character, by virtue of their interests, by virtue of who they are. Think about all of the ways in which we make ourselves stand out or unique. We, we have different cars. We have different houses. We have different professions. We wear different clothes. There's so many ways in which we cultivate individuality on the outside that's just simply unavailable to them on the inside. I think also 
this is one of the only things they have that's fulfilling and meaningful. I've had students show up in my class where they think they have a broken ankle and they won't go get it fixed because they're not going to miss class. I have students who are sick who, I mean, they will not miss my class because it's one of the only times in their daily routine where they're treated like students and not like prisoners. How do Illinois prisons, in terms of the programs they provide, ones like yours, how do they measure up against other states? Illinois is is not among the best states. So one of the states that I always look to for comparison is New York, which has a number of programs. I think in the last 15 years, they've offered between three and 400 degrees. And by comparison, Illinois has not a single degree program. Why, why do programs matter? Education has been proven to be the most effective form of, you know, cutting recidivism rates. People with, like, for instance, a bachelor's degree, I think the recidivism rate goes down to 5.6 percent. With a master's degree, it's zero percent. The recidivism rate is zero. This side actually makes a lot more sense to the public. But the side of offering classes to people who will die behind bars makes very little sense to a lot of people. But I think one of the things that is really powerful for me is the impact that it has on the environment on the inside. So it changes the nature of the conversations these men are having. It changes the conversations they're having with their children, with their family members. My students have handed their course packets, their books, Alex's book, to their wives, to their mothers, to their children. So how did the inmates react to having these essays published? Well, some of them I've spoken to. Um, Demetrius, uh, who calls me periodically, he was the one who wrote about the cardboard piano. His piece with four of the others actually appeared in the New Yorker website. And so he's actually gotten some letters. He told me that he actually got a a letter from an 82-year-old woman in Gary, Indiana, who wants to send him classical music. And he was so excited about the idea that he could try to learn classical music on his cardboard piano. And and Jennifer, I suspect you've probably spoken to some of them. I've spoken to, I think, just about all of them. And one of the things I've been struck by, just picking up on this, is how many of them have have received letters from people just commenting on the pieces. And that connection with the outside, knowing that their pieces were, were read by people, is is so significant. I think especially having family members be proud of them, having other people read it and comment and write to them, that's just been extraordinary for them. I'm curious about the, that family uh, part of the equation because while you have someone who's been separated from society for a long period of time, you also have a family that's mm-hmm. been separated from someone who, who they love. And what have you learned about how the families have reacted to these essays being published? Oh, it's been remarkable. I mean, I think for a lot of them, like sharing this with their children is one of the greatest moments of their lives. And I mean, literally, I mean, there's no hyperbole there. You know, they have so little good news to share with their loved ones. And I think for many of these men, sharing it with their children is something that's of critical importance because they're trying to prevent them from making some of the same mistakes that they made. And so being able to show them, you know, some think that they're proud of, that they've done, you know, and to show them, like, you can do something similar. Ultimately, Alex, what do you hope people take away from this project? In some ways, a kind of very simple takeaway. When I think about my work in general, I think that essentially what I'm doing is really writing about people and how they live their lives, often in very extraordinary circumstances, whether it's growing up in the projects or whether you're a new immigrant. And in the case of these men, these really short pieces are about how they live their lives behind bars. You know, we have over 2 million people incarcerated in this country, more than anywhere else in the world. And yet I don't think we really have a sort of really full and rich understanding of what it means to be locked up. And that was my hope with these, is that they would just give readers a glimpse into that life. 
you know, after they were all done, I got this um, William Jones, who is the oldest of the students in the class. He wrote me, you know, this very very short but very touching note thanking me for the working with him on this essay. And in conclusion, he wrote, Please know I've never allowed this cell to define me, nor has it shut my heart. Warm regards, William Jones, which I think really speaks for all of these guys. Written Inside is a production of WBEZ Chicago. The stories were gathered and edited by Alex Kotlowitz with help from Jennifer Lackey. The producer is Colin McNulty. The executive producers are Joel Meyer and Ben Calhoun. Special thanks to Joe Dassault, our digital editor, Tricia Bobita, and our intern, Brady Guy. To learn more about this project, go to wbez.org slash written inside.